Welcome everybody to This Good Word. My name is Steve Weens, your host, as always, and this is part two of a four-part series called Your Own Personal Copernican Shift. And it's essentially based on what do you do when something that you have held dear, a faith construction, has been deconstructed? What do you do when you have a disruption in your life that causes you to massively reconsider the things that you had always considered dear? And uh, I likened a faith shift to the shift that happened way back in the 1500s when Copernicus discovered that the earth was in fact not the fixed immovable reference point for all of the universe, but was in fact one of the planets that orbited the sun in our galaxy. And then we later found out, of course, that we just, we are one of billions and billions of galaxies, certainly not the center of the universe. And uh, what happens when you do your own faith deconstruction and reconstruction is very, um, it's, 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 it's very disruptive. It's what we looked at last week. It's when you realize that, that your, whatever it is that you believed is actually not the center of the universe. It's not the fixed reference point. It's not the absolute truth. It's just, it's really a construct of truth uh, then it can be extremely um, disillusioning, but then it can open yourself up to a whole new world of possibility and expansion. And that leads you to part two, uh, which is an invitation. So we move from disruption, when you learn to sit with a disruption, something that blows your mind, moves you away from the center of the universe, makes you realize you're not the center of the universe, then you have an invitation. And that invitation is to consider the perspective of someone that has a different perspective than your own. And the, the, the key to exploring faith expansion, your evolving self, uh, discovering more about who you are, who God is, who the world is, is when you have the courage to listen to the perspective of someone else who sees life, the world, differently than you do. So in just a sublime <laughs> coincidence, uh, there was this event that happened uh, this last week called the Super Bowl. And there was something that happened in between the two halves of the Super Bowl <laughs> that we refer to as halftime. And in that halftime show, J-Lo and Shakira danced, and it was amazing. And then there was all this reaction from the Twitterverse. Of course, there has to be a reaction from the Twitterverse. Uh, but some people said it was sexualized, and some people were highly offended at the sexualized nature of J-Lo and Shakira uh, dancing, and I quote, you know, shaking their butts in a way that they couldn't let their kids watch. And there was just this general sense of outrage, right? I mean, I can't let my kids watch this. I can't watch this exploitation of women, especially Latina women. And, um, and then I started to read some different responses. And I started to read the responses of this woman named Joanna Lumen. And Joanna is Latinx, and she's a pastor, and she's a very thoughtful 
person, theologian from Columbia that has done a lot of work with deconstruction and reconstruction, Christianity, and she had a very different perspective of the halftime show. And so because I'm in this, this frame of reference of like, I want to learn the perspective of someone else, this disruption, this halftime show that created this, you know, all kinds of uh, outrage from certain people. Uh, I, I want to learn from the perspective of someone that didn't have my implicit biases. So I started reading uh, Joanna Lumen's responses on Twitter, and they were, I thought, so thoughtful so helpful. So I reached out to her on Twitter, uh, like literally yesterday and said, Hey, would you be willing to do a podcast interview like, like tonight? And she was very gracious and she agreed. Uh, and so what you're going to hear is my conversation with Joanna. And, um, I, I want to just recognize that if you're white, you might feel all the feelings of shame and white fragility and, Oh, wait a minute. I don't think that I do think that I, I, and I just, I want to invite you into just sitting with disruption and experiencing an invitation to see something from someone else's perspective. And who knows where that might lead you? Who knows where that might lead you? But something really good happens when we can be invited to hear the perspective of someone else. So enjoy this conversation with Joanna Lumen, and then check out the show notes, steveweens.com, if you want to uh, find out ways that you can follow her work and see what else that she is doing. Oh, and hey, one more thing before we get to the interview. You'll notice at times there is sort of a rattling and a sort of a shaking. Uh, I'm not sure whether that was on her end or my end, but there there is a little bit of that. There's no way to edit that out. It's just part of the experience. Maybe there was an earthquake happening. Who knows? Uh, but I think you can deal with it. So anyway, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation about the Super Bowl halftime show with Joanna Lumen. Well, hey, Joanna, thanks so much for uh, jumping on quickly. Uh, I just shot out a tweet to you last night and you're like, sure, let's talk. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I think that um, it is always great for people that are in different places to want to hear from the people that are affected by an issue. So thank you for being willing to have this conversation. Oh, well, you're welcome. I'm excited to talk about it. So um, I watched the Super Bowl halftime show. So did you, so did many people. And I was on Twitter mm -hmm. uh, yesterday and I just, I was watching this great conversation that you kept having with people mm -hmm. and people were, um, I think misunderstanding. And I think you, um, I, I was very interested in the point that you were trying to make. So just, just walk us through, first of all, if you would, like when you saw the halftime show, Shakira and JLo, uh, how did you see it? And what did you feel? What did you think? Well, I was born and raised in Colombia. Um, so obviously that changes the way in which I, experience the entire show. Um, I A lot of the dances and a lot of the moves, a lot of the music, um, the, the drums, all of these things that were happening in the show were 
very exciting for me. They were there were there was nostalgia attached to them. They reminded me of my upbringing. They reminded me of the dances that I grew up um, learning and performing in school. It was very exciting for me to see these two women um, perform dances and and kind of give our culture such an incredible non-stereotypical view you know like they especially right now in america with all the anti-latino um rhetoric that we keep hearing to see non-stereotypical and 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 beautiful displays of our culture was really exciting and that is 100 all i thought about i was also widely widely impressed with the show i thought It was an impressive performance. It was just athletic and fast-paced and beautiful. And there was there was so much going on in such a short amount of time. So my whole the whole time I was thinking, wow, that was incredible. And I'm proud of them. Like they they honestly uh, made us proud. That's what I was thinking. And it didn't occur to me for a second that people were going to take it as anything different until I went on Twitter and started reading comments. Yeah. So let's pick it up from there because, um, and I, that's what I really wanted to know. Like, were you watching this thinking this is awesome, but oh my gosh, I know people are going to freak out and then I'm going to have, you know, like, but it, it didn't occur to you. I love that. I love that. And so you get on Twitter and yeah. was it, um, because the first tweet that I read that I loved, you challenged mm-hmm. white Christian progressive women in, um, and I, I was like, oh my gosh, yes. So could you, could you walk into that? Because I think, um, walk into mm-hmm. what you read and, and why you responded the way you responded, if you would. Yeah. Um, that was the second like threat I yeah. tweeted out, um, because in the first thread, I was just challenging the fact that people seem to have a big issue with this halftime show, but we are not talking about the very, very problematic things around, you know, football and around yes. the NFL. We're not talking about the very problematic things that happened around the NFL that happened with the NFL. We're not talking about the cheerleaders and all the scandals that are happening with sex trafficking within the cheerleading, um, yep. you know, world. We're not talking about all these things. We're not talking about how these men are having serious medical issues. Yeah. We're not talking about any of that. We are all going to focus on these women. And and I was just, you know, tweeting out like, hey, why are we not having the important conversations here about the NFL? And we are focusing on the one part of the show that really is not something we should be talking about. Right. And I thought we were going to have a good conversation about the NFL. But instead I hear, well, no, you don't get it. It's just that these women were doing things that were inappropriate. And the people that were saying this the most were progressive Christians, a lot of progressive women and a lot of some progressive men, but mostly progressive women, white progressive Christians. And I remember when Beth Moore, um, you know, was challenged by John MacArthur when he was Mm -hmm. asked, like, what do you think of Beth Moore? And he just said, go home. Yeah. All progressive Christianity, all white progressive Christianity was up in arms and saying, like, you don't talk like that to Beth Moore. I did it, too. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I spoke up and I said, this is not appropriate. It's not appropriate. We get to speak. We are made in the image of God. And 
But here we are, two women who do not identify as Christians at all, uh, who delivered an incredible performance. And progressive Christians, I don't expect much of conservative Christians in these terms, you know, in these these matters. But progressive Christians are saying that they should have done better. They should have done better by whom? Right. Because when you say they should have done better, what you're saying is they should have, they should behave according to our standards. And that is uh, that is aligning with white supremacy, saying that your standards either are, are the right standards of behavior, saying that being feminist and the, the, the right way of of being a woman is the way in which you define womanhood, in which you define sensuality, in which you define um Anything, you know, as as soon as you want to just box anybody into your definition of acceptability, then we are talking about white supremacy. White supremacy gives us um, standards of acceptability. So it was really interesting for me to say to see progressive women who say that they are feminists also say that these women push the envelope because what you're asking is for them to accommodate to your standards of acceptability. And that is not okay. Right. And I I want to ask you a little bit more later about, um, because I know you're a pastor and your church and some of your redefinition of Christianity is dismantling white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism in each one of us and all of us at the same time. And I love Mm -hmm. that. So I want to talk about that. But I think, so this is an honest question. What were some of the progressive Christians, of which I count myself one, sort of speaking? Like, did you like, were they speaking even for women of color saying, oh, this is so inappropriate that here's the, you know, objectifying women of color again, you know, exploiting them sexually? Is, Is that some of what you were reading as well? Or was it simply a, a just a glow, like, no, this is wrong, no matter what, you know? Um, there, there was a lot of this is wrong, no matter what, yeah. um, because I think most progressive Christians know enough to not, um, right, right. at least in their language, make this about race. Right. But that doesn't mean that it is not about race. Right. Because, again, I do not see them talking about cheerleaders. I do not see them talking about gymnasts. I do not see them talking about anything like before these. Nobody had a problem with leotards. Apparently right. now we do. Um <laughs> And especially considering this is a professional performance by yeah. two women who have been performing by over 50 years combined. Yeah. Uh, I, I do not know what they were expecting of them. Right. They delivered a performance, uh, a performance at, at, a, at, a, at a venue where this is what was expected of them. You know, these women have not dressed any differently when they go on concerts. I don't know why, why we, we wanted them to just wear moo-moos or whatever. Um, yeah. They were wearing flesh-colored tights and leotards, which happens in Cirque du Soleil, which happens at the ballet, which happens in Dancing with the Stars. Um, You know, it happens everywhere. And uh, these people watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, which I can't stand. And nowhere are we having conversations about, hey, the objectification of women is complicated here, and we should have these conversations. But it's only when two Latin American women are delivering an impressive performance that we decide to have those conversations because now we are worried about sex trafficking and now we are worried about the objectification of women. When in reality, when 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 I hear all of that, I am not thinking, wow, yeah, those women should have 
thought differently about what they wanted to put out there. I think, what are Americans looking at? Because I didn't see any of it. So are the biases of progressive Christian, white progressive Christians, um, kind of came out into the surface, which is normal. Um, My husband is is a white man who was born and raised in rural Washington state, right at the border of Canada. And he was raised believing certain things about dancing and moving your hips and um, putting your hands on another on a woman's waist. You know, yeah. He was raised believing certain things about um, about our cultures too. And he all of these things were implicit biases, biases that he wasn't aware he had. And then we get actually before we got married, he started taking dance, salsa dancing mm-hmm. lessons because he wanted to be able to dance with me. He knew I could dance. I took dancing lessons uh, for a while when I was in Colombia for a long while. So he wanted to be able to dance with me. And we go to this um, class here in San Diego where we live. And the teacher kind of could see that I could dance. And he just said, come here. I want to demonstrate this with you. So he grabs me, starts dancing with me. I don't think anything about it because in Colombia we dance with literally anybody. Mm-hmm. And we left the class. My husband was visibly upset and I had no idea why. And we had to have this conversation, you know, as an engaged couple. And I had no idea why he was upset. And he explained it to me. And for for many years before I would dismantle a lot of the internalized um, racism that was given to me after I moved here, I... I decided that, okay, I have to submit to my husband. And if he doesn't like me dancing with anybody, then we won't. And I, we would go to Colombia and even there I wouldn't dance with people. Hmm. Uh, and then we started, both of us started dismantling our biases and started dismantling white supremacy and started decolonizing our faith. And all of that flipped. And now I dance, you know, there is dancing, there is salsa dancing in little, little in San Diego once a month, every Wednesday. And we go and we dance and we have the best time. But he had to dismantle all of that. So I understand that white progressive Christians have a lot of biases around movements and hips and sensuality and sexuality and Latin American dances. That, however, doesn't mean that people should accommodate to them. It means that they need to dismantle their biases. I really liked something that you wrote. Um, I, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or one of the other platforms, maybe medium, but you said we are only acceptable if we perform for whiteness. And that seems to be what you're saying. It's like this, this lens through which like your husband, before he dismantled some of his biases could only see through the lens of rural Washington, which said that no man puts his hands on someone else's wife's uh, hips, no matter what we're doing. And if they do, it always means X, Y, Z, right? Exactly. And um, I think that's a really, it's an opportunity. It's an invitation for people like myself and others to dismantle, right? Yes. So how do we, how do we start to do that? Well, the best way that you can start dismantling your biases is actually being aware of them. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that one of the most important 
faith practices uh, is self-awareness. Yes. It's the ability to sit down and know who we are and know what we believe and know where those beliefs are coming from and saying, wait, wait, is this something that was given to me? Is this is this a belief that was given to me? Or is this actually something that is problematic? And the only way that we can do that is by listening to the other, um, by, by being able to have proximity to those who were raised differently than us, who experienced the world in a different way. I, I mean, if we want to dismantle patriarchy and patriarchal systems that are oppressive to women, well, men have to listen to women. Right. They, they have to just sit down and listen, and, and you will get defensive because it will feel like an attack, but it is not. We're just sharing our experiences. That is all. Um, now, does that mean that perhaps you have acted as an oppressor? Yes, absolutely. But that doesn't make you a horrible person. It just means that you were born with certain privileges that now you have to become aware of. So the only way that we can dismantle is by becoming aware of the ones of the of the biases that we have. And the only way that we can become aware is by proximity to the other, to what we have been given as the other. Um, so I, I had I, I, we all have we all have biases, you know. I, I have biases. I my husband does too. Um, I had to dismantle fat phobia. I don't obviously inside of Latin American culture, um, the way women's bodies look is very important, and they put a lot of emphasis on that. And I realized that I had a lot of fat phobia inside of me. That I was told that I was only acceptable if I looked a certain way, and that. Um, that I wouldn't be listened to, that I wouldn't be accepted, that I wouldn't be loved even if I didn't look a certain way. And I had to dismantle all of that through my pregnancies and through my body changing. I have four kids. Um, and and I had to do that by actually listening to people. I am not fat. I am a very skinny woman. So I have that privilege in the world. You know, I am I'm skinny naturally. It's just genetics. And I had to sit with women and listen to women who have different body types, who have been marginalized in the world for having those body types, and listen to them and actually acknowledge the fact that I do believe, because of my biases, that they are unhealthy or that they are not okay. Um, and that's wrong. And I have to acknowledge that. And acknowledging that means repenting from it. Mm -hmm. But we cannot talk about repentance, which is a very Christian word word that Christians throw around, but don't. But we don't want to live it out truly. We cannot talk about repentance unless we change our ways, unless we change our mind about things, and we cannot change our mind unless we acknowledge that our mind is wrong about something. You know, I love what you just modeled right there because I think um, for so many of us, shame keeps us from saying what's what like that 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 truth that we'd rather not admit that we think um, about people whose bodies are this way or about people whose skin color is different from ours, you know, like the, 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 to me or how I understand it is the shame is so big that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm almost choosing to walk around, continuing to walk around in ignorance rather than just say, here's what reality is. And I want to change and how you, I mean, that's what you labeled as repentance defined as repentance, which hundred percent. Yes. Um, and I think you're right. I think Christians um, operate 50,000 feet above reality, you know? So we talk about repentance as a theory and yeah. sort of a thing that's important to do uh, on, on really, really big things. But 
um, you know, maybe not on generational sin or something like that. So, um, okay, right. I, I think we're going to get back to in a few minutes, um, some more about the, the halftime show, but I'm very interested because when I just was doing some reading up on you and watching some videos that you and your husband have done so good, by the way. Um, thank you. Yeah, no, they really are fascinated about deconstruct. The one I was watching just before we got on was about your own faith deconstruction and reconstruction mm -hmm. and how that's been different for both of you, but you're so articulate in, in how you talk about that. And I know that you, you pastor a kind of nonprofit, a home church where, where you say you, you are redefining Christianity. I've said this before. I want to say it again. Uh, as dismantling white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism in each one of us and in all of us at the same time. Mm -hmm. Now, did I get that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. How, how did you, how did you come to that or get to that? Like, how did you, I know it was probably a long journey, but how did you arrive at that particular definition? Well, it all started with my deconstruction. Um, yeah. As I started deconstructing and, and my deconstruction was, um, fueled by a lot of church pain, which it often happens. It doesn't yeah. mean that that's where I stayed or anything like that. But um, there was a lot of church pain. There was a lot of hypocrisy. There was a lot of things that did not add up. And then I found myself without a church, without family, you know, church family, mm -hmm. yeah. and being ostracized and treated like I had a disease and nobody could talk to me. Mm. And then I end up in Turkey, the country, mm -hmm. um, visiting the underground church in Turkey and visiting a whole bunch of Muslims in country who loved me hmm. so well. Hmm. They just, without, without caveats, without conditions, without anything, they, they didn't expect me to convert to Islam. They didn't expect anything of me. They just loved me well. Um, and they, they started teaching me about the, you know, the neighbor, how do we treat our neighbors and how do we love people just because they are, just because they exist, just because they are humans. And I was thinking about all of these Muslim people and the way they loved me so well. And then I would go to Colombia and visit with my high school friends and my college friends that were all non-believers, a lot of them agnostic, a lot of them atheists. And they also loved me really well, all the way to telling me, like, if you start a church, even though we don't believe in church, we will financially support you. Wow. And I kept thinking, why? They said, because we love you. <laughs> wow. Because we love you. It, 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 we believe in you. We believe in who you are. And this shook everything I had believed about Christian love and, you know, how it was so limited to... Christianity mm -hmm. uh, and those who identified themselves as Christians in the way that I identified myself as Christian. So I started reading the Bible again. Um, and I, I, I was angry with God. I, I was saying, listen, I did everything. I read the Bible. I became a pastor. I went to school. I got my master's. I served the church. I worked for free. I, I did everything. I gave myself my finances, everything. And here I am like, what the hell? Um, I don't know if it's okay to do that in your yeah, podcast, but fine. I said, what the hell? So I hope it's that's okay. just fine. Good. You never know. You never I don't know. know. No, no, it's, um, uh, that's so awesome. I love that. I, you, I love that you said it. <laughs> so we, I started studying Genesis, the, the book of Genesis. Genesis has always been my favorite book. Yeah. So I started studying it. I decided to give myself, um, a year and do one chapter a week. 
and and started learning Hebrew and getting really serious about Hebrew and Greek. And the more I studied, the more I kept realizing that the religion that has been that had been handed down to me was nothing like what the Bible was talking about was nothing like what freedom truly was. Um, and then I started recognizing um, that my ancestors, the indigenous people of Colombia, my grandpa was an indigenous man and he grew up in a small, small little kind of reservation town in Colombia. Um, my ancestors have been demonized and because my ancestors were demonized by colonizers, I had a lot of self-hatred in me that I didn't even recognize, you know, these implicit biases yeah. that I was talking about and dismantling all of that. And I was working with, um, with uh, a therapist too, and, and kind of uh, working on self-hatred and, and the messagings, the messaging that was given to me by Christianity that was also keeping me enslaved. And I realized that when the Bible talks about that, we don't fight against flesh and blood. It is talking about the systems of oppression in the world that have existed for always. Yeah. Um, these systems of oppression that we have to dismantle and the work of bringing the kingdom of God to the world is the work of dismantling the systems of oppression that continue to tell people that they are not the image of God, yeah. that continue to tell people that they are not good enough, that they are not um, everything God created them to be, that, that you know, that continue to, to enslave people mm -hmm. to standards of acceptability. And today, in 2020, those those systems of oppression are white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism. Two thousand years ago, those weren't the systems, though they had the same characteristics. Uh, but they didn't call them those things. They didn't right. have the language for those things. So when when Jesus talks about the things that he talks about, when he's talking about the blessed are the poor, he's talking about blessed are those who do not have, who are oppressed and marginalized in a society. Because they are the ones who are able to not be obsessed with hoarding power mm -hmm. and hoarding wealth to find their worth in mm -hmm. me. And I was able to recognize all of these things because it was my privileges that kept me from seeing God more than my marginalization. Wow. It was the fact that I was... Uh, I was an educated woman that I was, uh, I, I grew up comfortably in Colombia. We had, you know, some sort of money and I was middle upper class kind of. I went to private schools all my life. I went to a private university. I was able to travel uh, all of my life and traveling gives you a lot of privilege in the world. I could speak different languages and all of those privileges didn't allow me to see the marginalization of the world didn't allow me to see the, the image of God in others because I wanted to just hold on to my privilege. Mm -hmm. And so long as we are obsessed with holding on to our privilege, so long as we are obsessed with hoarding power, with, um, yeah, with just being seen a certain way, we are under systems of oppression that keep us in survival mode. Yeah. But not living out the reality of who we are which is we are the image of God in the world. We mm -hmm. are quite literally the hands and feet of divinity right now, right here. When the Bible says we are um, we are walking epistles, he's talking about we now get to be the word of God mm -hmm. in the world, mm -hmm. active, living, moving, touching, um, changing. And how do we do that? Well, by dismantling the systems that don't allow others to know that reality too. Yeah. Uh, 
if the work is to bring heaven to earth and heaven is a place where there is no pain and there is no tears and there is no oppression, then bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, expanding the kingdom of God means dismantling anything that brings oppression and pain and death and tears to people. So that's how we got to this. We're going to redefine Christianity to make it real. Yeah. And it's no longer these theoretical things that we talk about and that we are feeling also superior about, but instead is, no, what does that look like right now, right here? What is it going to cost me? Because picking up your cross, it, it wasn't a metaphor. It wasn't allegory. It meant this is going to cost you your privilege. Are you willing mm. to put it down mm. for the benefit of the most marginalized, for the benefit of the kingdom of heaven? Because we are not okay until every single one of us is okay. So we're going to have to fight for the ones that are the most marginalized because when they are okay, we're all okay. Yeah. Wow. That run you just went on was just just beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Um, so articulate and so well said. So I want I do. I wanna you you've already sort of hit on this, but I wanna loop back to people watching the halftime show, getting puritanical sort of about um, and I, I use that word. I know it's it's a pejorative use of the word, but I can't find a, a different word. Um, you know, I, I it's it's not good for our kids to watch these sexual movements and um, like walk us through again how even Christians are are seeing that went through the lens of white supremacy and not knowing it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about colonization then, because. Okay. When we think about indigenous people, do any of the children that are walking around, the, the idea that we have been given of indigenous people, of women, you know, with um, topless, mm -hmm. you know, women topless and just walking around free, men that are wearing really, really small, um, they are called taparraos in Espanol, but I don't know what they are called in English, but these are the little small things that cover just their yeah. penis, essentially. Yeah. Are these children walking around them? being scandalized by it are these are these men walking around it being um just sexually aroused by the women that are walking none of that is happening and none of that is happening because that is not what they've been given that is not what they've been told that is not the conversations they've had they they look at bodies in different ways um so now what people are saying is yes but they were performing in america where people are given different um, ideas of bodies and all of these things. And then I would say, no, that's actually not true. You're talking about specifically white America mm -hmm. because black people have always danced in a different way. Um, you know, rock and roll, they started rock and roll and the reason it became problematic is because of how they were moving. Mm -hmm. Um, because moving your hips is just not appropriate. Right. Mm -hmm. And brown people, indigenous people, we've always had a different relationship with our bodies and our sexuality. And it was it was religion, uh, toxic religion, or what I call colonized Christianity, colonized religion, not only Christianity, but colonized Christianity is what I speak about because I am a Christian pastor, but it's not the only religion that has colonized and harmed people. Mm -hmm. So colonized Christianity, in an attempt to, to control people, because it was... Um, married to white supremacy and fear fear and shame are really 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 powerful motivators mm -hmm. so european people come and give 
were go and come and go and give black people and brown people all of this shame and this fear about their bodies and about what how they ought to behave and how uh, what is acceptable of God. But their intention was never really to protect them from a divinity, uh, to protect them from a God that created them. Because honestly, they were fine. Everybody was mm-hmm, fine. Mm-hmm. Their intention was, you need to behave like us, and we need, to, we need you to understand that our ways are superior than your ways. We know better than you. Um, when you look at the halftime show, and you say, these two women that were performing for for their culture, inside of their culture, in a city that is a majority Latin city. Um, And you tell them, you should have been thinking about our kids. You're doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. You're saying, oh, but instead of of looking at your kids and saying, hey, how was that show for you? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Even your teenagers, what a great opportunity to talk to your teenagers. And if you cannot look at your 13, 14, 15-year-old and say, was that sexually stimulating for you? Were you sexually aroused by that show? Then I have to question the relationship that you have with your child. Mm-hmm. Because if, you, if, if your child is not safe to have those conversations with you, then you have already given your child an idea that sex, sexuality, and being aroused is wrong, and it's evil, and it's against God. And none of that is true. Mm-hmm. None of that is human. Being aroused right. when you're 14 is human. Right. But for men and for women and for people in general, it's it's very, very human. And and I, I just have to ask people, do you believe that God ever, Jesus, I'm sorry, not God, but do you believe that Jesus ever had an erection? And that's not blasphemy. That's not problematic. Because Jesus was fully human. We talk about this. Jesus was fully human. Well, then did Jesus have an erection ever? Of course. If he was fully human. Of course. Is there anything wrong about having an erection? No. We need to dismantle these ideas that purity means not ever thinking about sex, not ever having these thoughts, not ever being aroused, not ever, you know, that, 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 that has nothing to do with God, that has nothing to do with being pure, that has nothing to do with divinity. Um, sexuality is divinity, too. Yes. And and we need to dismantle those things. So if anything, watching this show should have been a great opportunity for people to have conversations they should be having mm-hmm. to, to dismantle some of the things that we need to dismantle surrounding sex and surrounding our bodies. Uh, women should not be ashamed with their bodies. We should be able to wear whatever we want to wear if we feel comfortable wearing it and dance. You know, mm, yeah. no, they didn't hurt anybody. They didn't hurt anybody. Um, so long as you're not harming anybody. Uh, and they didn't. They were hired to do this knowing and everybody that knew they were hired knew what to expect. Let's not pretend that they didn't. Mm-hmm. So so long as you're not harming anybody with your choices, um, you should be free to make those choices. Yeah, that's that's it. So why not instead have really good conversations? You know, I was I was listening to women that were saying, well, I have teenage girls and I don't want them to think that to be successful in the world, they need to sexualize their craft. Okay, first, what? And second, these women are successful not because they sexualize their craft. They are successful because they have been working their butts off forever. Shakira, Shakira didn't know English. Did you know this? Shakira didn't know English. She learned English to be able to translate her songs yep. when she started having success in the Latin world with her music. 
And not only did she didn't stop there, now she knows seven languages. Yeah, yeah. So don't tell me that because they sexualize their body, they are successful. Right. I mean, these women have worked hard. Yeah. Very, very hard. We don't get to diminish that. Well, I think what you're saying, and I, I agree 100%, one of the things you're saying is it's just highly offensive to say that the reason why these women are successful is because they they move their bodies a certain way. I, I mean, that's just that's just highly offensive to their craft, don't you think? Yes, yeah. it is absolutely highly offensive, especially considering the fact that women already have to prove themselves ten times over in this patriarchal world to be able to be successful in the world. Yeah, you know, um, I, I my husband didn't believe me. I, I well, this was years ago, but I remember when I told him, like, you know, you have privilege as a man in the world, and he laughed at me and he mm. said, no. Mm. Between you and me, you have more privilege. You were the one that went to private schools. You were the one that were traveling the world. You were the one learning different languages. Um, you had more privilege in life than I ever did. And I said, okay, um, I did. I had wealth privilege. That's true. However, when you and I go to a church, any yeah. church, yeah, um, and we both present our resumes, knowing that I have a lot more um, schooling and a lot more experience than you, who do you think has more chances of being hired? Right. Actually, because of our history, because we have actually worked at churches and we have even our resumes, who has been hired more easily? Mm. And he admitted it. He said, me, hey, Joe, yeah. every time. Yeah. There are times that they won't even consider you at all. Man. And we, so you're going to tell me that these women who deliver, they deliver a phenomenal impressive show and we're going to just say oh it's because they sh shook their butts mm -mm. Yeah. and we're not going to talk about the fact that men that are also very talented but i'm talking about I, ed sheeran stands with a hoodie and jeans <laughs> yeah. sings and he's like oh my gosh he's incredible yeah he's in yeah. these women not only sing and dance and jump and do an incredible acrobatic show and we're like yeah but they shook their butts so yeah. Yeah. i don't know I mean, come on, how can we even say that we're feminist if, that, if that's the way that we are going to look at something? I'm not saying women should lower their standards. I'm saying men should start putting, like we should be expecting more of men yeah. because that is why the, the whole being a mediocre white man is acceptable. Mm -hmm. Like why are we okay with mediocrity when it comes to, when it comes to men? Yeah. Instead, let's raise the standard for everybody and acknowledge that this was impressive. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And and they 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 raise the bar. So now that's where the bar is. Okay? That's it. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. That's so good. Um, well, we are out of time, Joanna, but I did want to ask you if people uh are interested in hearing more of your writing, your teaching, where can we go to follow what you're doing in the world? Um, I do a lot of writing through Instagram. Yep. Uh, that's how I started actually doing all of this. I started an Instagram account where I was writing about my Genesis, um, like what I was learning about Genesis and then the Instagram account just kept growing and growing. And so I keep writing there. Um, so it's J O Luman, L U E H M A N N N or two N's at the end. And then I'm on Twitter. And then I also opened recently a Patreon account because people wanted to be able to work a little bit more with me uh, in dismantling their their 
and decolonizing their faith, essentially. Yep. So you can find me in all of those places. Those are probably the easiest places to find me. And then my husband and I have a, a little YouTube channel where we put videos and uh, we talk and we kind of just share a little bit of what we are learning, too. All right. Well, I'm going to put uh, Joanna's Twitter handle, her Instagram handle, and the YouTube channel, as well as the the Patreon uh, page where you can get in touch with her if you want to learn more about taking a next step in your own journey of dismantling white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, um, and really doing the work of decolonization is what is what that is. And so uh, I'll put all that on the show notes, steveweens.com slash show notes. Just search uh, Joanna Lumen, if uh, you're listening to this and it's like 2050 or something like that, and you know it's not right there on the, on the top of the show notes page. Uh, but Joanna, thank you so much. I mean, for me, this I I, um, I was so curious just to hear uh, your perspective on this, and uh, you are so articulate, and uh, I think so helpful in um, helping me and others take some steps toward recognizing our biases and um and doing some doing that work of decolonizing uh, our own faith so thank you so much it's so helpful thank you steve what you're doing is is part of the work you know let's listen to the other let's listen to the yeah. person that uh i am not thank you so much ah thank you thank you for having me and um Looking forward to seeing more of your work and maybe working more together. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook. Uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together. <laughs>